Hey, I'm excited. I'm really glad all of you are here. We're going to continue our series called The Thread uh, this evening. For anyone who's watching virtually, can they hear me? They're all good. They can hear me all like six. All right. For all of you who are there with us virtually, I'm excited that you're here with us and hope that uh, you can hear and see very well. So we're on our seventh uh, lesson for The Thread. Next week will be our last week in The Thread. Don't cry. Nobody, I hear you. I hear you. Listen, don't, don't start. You're, if you get emotional, if you start crying, I'm going to start crying, and then everyone's going to be crying, and it's just going to be bad. Guys, let's give it up for Logan and for Casey. Let's give it up for them. We're glad that you've decided to join us. Okay, so you will need a study guide if you uh, don't have one. They are on the table back there with a pen, uh, and so you will need that. <clears throat> So during the thread, we have made sure to say every single week, and I'm going to say it again this week, that all of Scripture is pointing us to Jesus. All of Scripture points us to Jesus. And that's the first fill-in-the-blank on your study guide. All of Scripture is pointing us to Jesus. And so... What we have said, and I've shown you several graphs along the way, I've shown you timelines, all kinds of things like that. Uh, Lydia even made up these awesome and cool um, bracelets right here to remind us of what is called the scarlet thread of the Bible. Literally what theologians say is that any main story you have in the scripture, it always has a scarlet thread that points to Jesus. And the story we're going to be in today is no exception, how it points to Jesus. And this one, maybe more than any of the others, seeing Jesus in this passage is so on the nose. I mean, it's, it's just right there before your eyes. You cannot miss it. If you do miss it, then uh, you're not even trying to read, okay? But... Let me kind of start off, let me, let me explain kind of maybe a little bit about what's going on. Maybe it'll help you kind of grasp the main idea or the main question of this text. So there was a, a, a family, it was um, a family, the, the grandparents, they were purchasing a lot of things to decorate their house with, and one of the little things that the husband, the grandfather, bought was a little statue of Jesus, okay? And he set it down in a room as they were decorating and thought, that's where I'll put this statue of Jesus. Now, I have my own things I could say about having a statue of Jesus, but that's what this grandparent did, set up the statue of Jesus there. The grandmother comes in, she sees this statue of Jesus in the living room, and she decides that it doesn't fit with the decor of that room, so she takes the Jesus and moves that statue to another room. The grandfather goes back, and he sees that the statue has been moved, and so he takes the statue, and you know what he does? Puts it in the same spot that it had been. This goes back and forth a little bit until finally one of the grandchildren comes up and looks at this statue and says, can't you decide what to do with God? Okay, now that's a silly and a simple little story. 
but it asks a really important question. Can't you decide what to do with God? So Daniel chapter 3, which is where we're going to be looking at, Daniel chapter 3 is where we're going to see four people, and the question has to be asked, can't they decide what to do with God? And one person in the story has no idea what to do with God, has no clue what to do with Him. Three others know exactly how they should relate to God, what they should do with Him. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read Daniel chapter 3, and I'm going to read a fairly lengthy portion. I'm going to read verses 1 through 18, okay? This is going to set the story. Now, do you remember how how we set the stage last week with Daniel, how Daniel and how his friends were taken from their home, how they were taken to Babylon, they were in captivity. Do you remember that? And how Daniel had the opportunity to tell the king about the true God and about how God will establish a kingdom that will never fail. Do you remember that? And we saw that who Daniel's talking about is this direct line, this scarlet thread, this kingdom that will not fail, draws us right to where we can see Jesus clearly and evidently. And so that's where we have come from when we enter into Daniel chapter 3. So let me read the first 18 verses to you. So just hang with me. If you've heard this story before, it's going to be very familiar. If you haven't heard this story before, then understand this is one of the this is one of my favorite passages or one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament to point to Jesus. Daniel chapter 3 beginning in verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews 
Remember, the Jews are God's chosen people. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Let me pray for us. Let's dive in. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love you. We do praise you. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you that in this story, we're going to clearly see your son, Jesus. I pray that you'd help me to show these students how to see and how to know where your son is here. And to see the challenge that it lays on their lives, even in today's time. That this old, old story has a Christ-centered message. And that Christ-centered message meets us here in the year 2020. I ask all these things in your son's name, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen. Okay, so we come to this story, and the first thing that jumps out at us is King Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of gold. Do you guys know what they call little images of gold or little statues of Buddha? Or anything? Do you know what they call those things? Idols. They call them idols. And we immediately see here in the story that there is the love of of idols. There is the love of idols. All right. Now, let me make this clear to you, okay? That God has created us and he has created us with certain purposes and certain reasons. The forefront, the most prominent thing God wants from us 
is that we are to glorify God. We are designed, we are created to glorify God. Now, I just used the word glorify. Does anyone in here know what the word glorify means? What does it mean to glorify God? Yeah. Yes. To glorify God means to make God famous. So we are designed to glorify God. We're designed to make God famous. That's not me just telling you that. It's all over the Bible. I'm going to need some people being willing to open up their Bibles and to read. First, we're going to be in Isaiah 43, 6 through 7. Who would like that? Casey, I saw your hand. Uh, Nora, will you get Romans 11, 33 through 36? And who wants Revelation 4, 11? Kayla? All right, get Revelation 4, 11. We're going to have plenty of times to read, believe me. All right? But God has designed us to glorify God. We are created with this unquenchable desire to glorify God. We must glorify God. Isaiah chapter 43, 6 through 7. What is, are you there? Can you read it for us when you get there? It was I who created them. They will proclaim about me. They will glorify me. That's why I called them to glorify me. What about Romans 11, 33 through 36? To him be glory forever. Amen. Glorify God. We're created for that. What about Revelation 4.11? Who had that one? Caleb. By God's will, everything has existed, so we will glorify you. We are created for that purpose, to make God famous. But are there some people who don't believe in God? Yeah, there are. Does anyone know someone who doesn't believe in God? I do. Yeah, I do too. I do too. What do you do with that? How do y'all, I'm interested, how do y'all, when you know someone doesn't believe in God, how do you deal with that? Yeah. But they're not interested? Yeah. Casey? For me, I don't consider the reason why I didn't believe in God. For me, it gives me a reason to come like kind of counter. Like, if I counter that, yeah.
So you try to show them or tell them about the Lord. You try to show or tell them about the Lord. Even though you knew there was going to be difficulty and hardship. Yeah, but you wanted to be respectful. All right, so there are people who don't believe in God. There are some people who believe in the wrong God. Do you know who the Muslims believe in? Do you know who they call God? Allah. Allah. They call him Allah. If we deny true religion or if we deny true worship, the right and the real God, then we always, always, always find something to fill that. We are designed and created to glorify God. If we are not glorifying God, there's not just a vacuum that develops there. Do you guys understand what I mean when I say there's not a vacuum that develops there? There's not just a black hole. There's not just something that's, that's missing. No, there's a vacuum there, and something is going to be sucked into that spot. So if we don't glorify God, a vacuum is created, and something's going to fill that spot. We're going to put something there because we're creating to glorify. And if we're not going to glorify God, we're going to glorify something else. In fact, Romans chapter 1 Verses 20 through 23 tells us that. Logan, did you have your hand raised to read? Would you read that one for us? Romans 1, 20 through 23, please, sir. Um, and that kind of helps us understand. Listen, we all understand we've got a call. There's something placed on our heart, something placed on our life. And if we don't give that worship to God... We pervert it and we turn it into something else. Go ahead and read that whenever you're ready. In other words, people can look around, they can see all the things around us. It's common sense to look around, to be able to say, there is creation, therefore there must be a creator, and he is, or he has revealed himself through the word. If, they, if you take five minutes to look at the proofs for the Bible, you're convinced of the word. And one day I'll, I'll take you through that and show you. But God's made it very obvious that it's Him we're meant to glorify. It's Him we're meant to worship. And when we decide, no, I'm not going to worship that God, a vacuum comes up and we'll fill it with anything. What Paul says in Romans is we'll fill it with images of people or images of birds or snakes or anything. We'll fill up that image because we are made to glorify something. We're meant to make something famous. Now some people sit there and say, it's not going to be God, it's going to be me. I'll make me famous. Some people sit there and say, it's not going to be God, it's going to be Allah. Some people say, it's not going to be God, it's going to be science. Or you can go down the list and find all those sorts of things. 
So what was Nebuchadnezzar doing here? What was he making famous? Himself. Why do you say himself? He made a statue, but where do you see that it says it was a statue of himself? trying to build his empire. Now, listen, listen, I, I don't punch, I'm not punching holes in that it was an image of himself. We don't know what this image was. We don't know what it is. All it is, all it tells us is King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. And it tells us how tall it was and how wide it was. It's 90 feet tall and it's 9 feet wide. That's a big golden image. Now, at the end of the day, do I think he's doing that to display his greatness? Well, yeah. I think he's trying to get, I think he's trying to get some, some worship for himself. But we don't know what this image was. It could have been an image of a, a potato. I mean, who knows? Probably not a potato. We don't know what this image was. We just know he's making an image. But why did he do it? If he's not trying to draw attention to himself, what's he trying to do? There's a lot of speculation that's going on here. Let me tell you where I land. Now, let me first of all say, this is just an opinion. The Bible doesn't teach us this strictly, but I, I wouldn't tell it to you if I didn't think I was on firm ground. I think Nebuchadnezzar was a skeptic. Do you guys know what that means? What does it mean to say that he's a skeptic? Yeah, that that they're that they don't believe it. They're, they might if 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 someone showed them proof, they might believe. But even if you show them proof, they're still kind of like, I'm not sure about all this. I think Nebuchadnezzar was a skeptic. And here's why I think he was a skeptic. If you remember last week, and this is one of the reasons why I had to take you through uh, the study of Daniel 1 and 2. If you remember last week, he has a dream. And do you remember what his dream was about? If you don't, that's okay because Nebuchadnezzar couldn't remember it either. Yes, it was a statue, but he couldn't remember the dream. He had a dream that terrified him, that scared him, but he couldn't remember the dream. Now, all of these people that were listed, you remember how it listed all the, the officials and the governors and it listed them like so many times. And we sit there and we're like, okay, we get it. All those people are there. Well, all of those people had no answer for Nebuchadnezzar. And I think Nebuchadnezzar was kind of sitting there and showing them, hey, I've had a dream. It's terrified me. You need to tell me my dream. And you want to know why he told them that? Because deep down he thought, there's no way they tell me that. I don't even remember my dream. There's no way they tell me what my dream was, and then there's no way they can interpret it. I think he was a skeptic. And he put them at a test they knew they couldn't pass. See, the Babylonian kingdom, they believed in not one god. They believed in hundreds of gods. The most prominent one, kind of the chief of the gods, was this thing called Marku. 
But I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar believed in any of them. Because he's sitting there, and he's had these nightmares, and he's saying, hey, come here, you guys claim to know the thing about gods. Tell me what my dream was, and if you can't, I'm going to kill you. So he gives him an impossible test. So what changed from that impossible test in chapter 2 to all of a sudden here in chapter 3, he's building this huge image. Why does he now, in chapter 3, believe in having a God being worshipped? Because he was met with irrefutable proof. Because this skeptic who didn't believe meets a guy named Daniel who was only 14 or 15 at the time. And this young man named Daniel comes up and not only tells him what his dream was, he then tells him what his dream means. And all of a sudden, because Daniel has given the proof, he gets elevated, and so does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They get elevated to this incredibly prominent place in the kingdom. And all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar He's changed. I don't have to have proof that there are gods. Daniel just proved it. Now, Daniel didn't prove that there were gods, plural. Daniel proved that there was one God. But Nebuchadnezzar still had not put those pieces together. So in between chapter 2 at the very end of chapter 2 to chapter 3, verse 1, you've got a period of maybe about 19 or 20 years. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been in leadership in Babylon for 19 or 20 years now. It's pretty evident throughout the rest of the book of Daniel that Daniel was probably the biggest voice there. He was probably the most prolific wise man there. And that's what he was. He was to be known as a wise man. Which, by the way, ties in pretty neatly. I'm, uh, I'm just giving you this one as a freebie. You guys know how wise men came from the East to worship Jesus as a baby? Do you remember that? To worship him as a child? How do you think they got that understanding? Where do you think they got knowledge about God? It was from Daniel. Hundreds of years before, they still had Daniel's writings. They still had Daniel's teachings. Daniel's an important guy. But Daniel's not mentioned in this story at all. Daniel has probably been sent away. He has been a guy, a leader for 20 years-ish. If you're going to train some wise men over here, you're going to send Daniel. So Daniel's probably away right now. And I find it interesting that it's while Daniel's away, the one guy who can offer irrefutable proof to this King Nebuchadnezzar is while he's away, that all of a sudden all these officials come up and, and they have this idea with Nebuchadnezzar, we're going to build 
an image of gold. And it could have been of Nebuchadnezzar. It could have been of any one of the hundreds of gods in Babylon. That's why Daniel's away. Let's build an image. Let's make it big. Let's make it huge, as big as we can. Because here's what Nebuchadnezzar comes into conflict with. Yeah, he's been shown there's a God. But, you know, Daniel, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they live very different lives. And their God, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God, in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, that God's not worth it. So I'll make a God huge, as big as I can, so that everyone can bow down to that God. So he erects this huge image because Nebuchadnezzar is obviously in this place while Daniel's away where that God's not big enough. That God's not worth it. I can forget about that God since Daniel's not here. There's a definition I love it's, uh, of idolatry, and it says this, idolatry is anything you have or invent that you trust instead of God or that you trust alongside of God. Do you know what the Bible tells us to do when we come up against idols? Do you know what the Bible tells us to do when we see an idol? There's three things. Three things it tells us to do. They're going to show up on the screen. You don't have to flip there. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 14 tells us when we see an idol, we flee. Do you know what it means to flee from something? Run away. Like... Like run away like you kicked a soccer ball and it broke somebody's window and you go, scatter! <laughs> so you flee from idols, you run from them. 1 Corinthians 10, 10 through 20 tells us to avoid idols. Avoid them. 1 John 5.21 says, stay away from idols. Three things we're told to do with idolatry, and all of them have to do with keeping our distance. Don't go near them. Don't go anywhere close to an idol. And here's the reason why. Because the moment, the moment, and, and listen, I will not name names, but there are people in this church who seriously struggle with idolatry. There are people in this room who seriously struggle with idolatry. Serious struggle with idolatry. And we are told to 
flee, to avoid, to stay away from them. Why? Because we're created to be worshipers. Remember at the beginning? We're created to glorify God. We're created to do that. And the second that you take an idol and you put it in that place that is central to who you are, all of a sudden it doesn't just stay this small little thing. It starts to take over. And it starts to develop a fear. It's a strange kind of a thing. And you've got this fear of intimidation coming from these idols. And that's your next point. You've got this fear of intimidation. This idol starts to intimidate you. You start to be afraid of it. What do I mean by that? Well, idolatry is never quiet. It wasn't quiet with Nebuchadnezzar's time. Remember, he erected this huge idol, said everybody must do what? Worship it. How were they going to worship it? They were going to bow down. I've got this idol and you're going to bow to it. And not only are you going to bow to it, you're going to bow to it while we're playing music. It's got its own theme song, baby. And when that theme song hits, you're going to bow because this thing's awesome. Nebuchadnezzar had music for his idol. He had bowing down with his idol. And what was his stipulation? If you did not bow to the idol, if you did not give worship to the idol, then what was going to happen? You were going to be burned in a fiery furnace. You were going to be condemned. There was going to be punishment. There was going to be consequences. If you don't give this idol your worship, And bad things are going to happen. Well, it's a good thing we don't have anything like that today, right? Unfortunately, that's not true. Today, we still have idols. A lot of them. You have seen, maybe when you go into a Chinese restaurant or something like that, you, have you all ever seen like the little Buddha statues? That's an idol. Um, yeah, or that cat. All right. Maybe you have been, uh, yeah, there's a lot of idolatry in Hinduism. Um, maybe you have been, oh, maybe you've been into a church where they have a, a picture of Mother Mary, Catholicism. Guys, I think that's idolatry. I don't think I know that's idolatry. That's hard to say because a lot of people who I love are in it. We still have them. But it's not just a golden image that's an idol. It's not just that. Let me tell you what, what idolatry can look like in today's time. Our stuff our possessions, they suck so much of our time, so much of our devotion. How many of you have a cell phone? Hold your cell phone up. 
hold it up. How many of you, all right, you can put them down. Don't raise your hand. Don't answer this out loud. How many of you have looked at your cell phone today? Think about that question. How many of you look at your cell phone today? How many of you, before right now, have looked at your Bible today? Guys, there might be signs of a problem. How many of you will spend hours playing uh, games? Uh, my kids love uh, Minecraft. I don't know what it is for y'all. Fortnite was a thing at one point. How many of you will play hours doing that? Will forget how long you've spent doing it. But you find it so hard to read your Bible for five minutes. There might be a problem. How many of us know that God has given us one day one day where we're to take that day and we are to glorify him with our day. He gave us the Sabbath. And then when Christ came, Christ fulfilled that rest. And he said, now you have a Lord's day where you can come and where you can glorify me. That's what we do at church on Sundays. Since I have been a student pastor, not just here, I'm talking... 20 years ago at the church before here. I'm talking about being the children's pastor here, being the student pastor here. I cannot tell you the number of times that I have heard I'm going to miss church because I have a game that day. Or because I have uh, practice that day or because I have and listen I'm not picking on any one person the person who should feel the weight of that is the coach who dares to do it but at that point there's a line drawn in the sand do I give the Lord's day or do I give the coach his day we wrestle with idolatry majorly in today's time. It doesn't look the same. We don't all see these huge statues come up here. We wrestle with idolatry in a major way. And here's the significant difference. When all of the world is bowing down to those things, when all of the world is bending their knee and when they're saying, okay, I'll give the time, I'll give the energy to you, idol. I'll give my money to you. I'll give all these things to you. When all the world is saying that, the believer is called to take a stand and to be different. I had a, an encounter. I told um, Kaylin and Cortland about it. We were going to enroll Elijah uh, in Cub Scouts. He was pretty excited about it. He got, went up there and he was, he was really pretty fired up. We went up there and we're talking to his, 
to a guy who was telling us all the information about it, and he said, he said, yeah, we, we meet uh, twice a month, and uh, everybody meets on Sunday. And it was at that point that I looked at Crystal, and we both knew, we, we thought, that, that takes us out. Because we're devoted to being here on that day. And they kind of looked at us like, I've never heard that before. I've never heard that opposition. We are called to be different. We see that with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let me, and you can read on your study guide what, they, what happens. 13 through 18 tells us this. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? How many times have we heard it? If you don't make it to practice on this day, if you don't come on this Sunday, then you're not allowed to play. How many times have we heard things like, if you don't give this idol this amount of time, then you'll never be able to succeed? It happens all the time. But here's their response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They're different. They would not bow their knee. They put a line and they said, that's somewhere we will not cross. We will not go there. And it breaks my heart because I've seen the other side of it. Before I ever came to North Clay, I mentioned I was a student pastor at another church. I took the students, it was my last trip with, with them, to St. Louis on a mission trip. I took them there. We started sharing the gospel. We started working with churches. And every night, we would come back together in the room, and we would talk about our day. And it became very obvious early on that the people who were most lost on that trip were not the ones that we were out there talking to, but there were four or five, maybe eight or nine of them in that room who did not know Jesus. And so 
we started pouring into that, myself and the other leaders, we started pouring into that. Hey, just because on your mission trip here doesn't mean you're a believer. If you haven't trusted in Christ, then you have no reason to be confident that what you're telling these people, you actually have a claim in. And I will never forget this as long as I live. One night we had opened up the Bible. We had read through it. We had seen what Jesus had said. And there was a young lady there who started crying. And uh, we ended with a, a time of worship of singing. And while we ended with the time of worship of singing, she got up and she walked out and she went back to her room crying. And uh, Miss Cherie, who was one of the adults with us, she followed this young lady out. She sits down and she says, Jenna, are you okay? Why are you crying? And Jenna looks at her with, I mean, just tears just flowing down her face. And she says, Miss Cherie, I know I am not saved. I know I have not trusted in Jesus. I know that if I were to die right now, that I wouldn't go to heaven, but I would go to hell. I know that. The Bible has made it very clear. But... I just don't want to have to give up all these other things that I love to do in order to be a Christian. I understand that I'm lost. But you see, there are things I love too much to let Christ be everything for me. When I was told that from Miss Cherie, it broke my heart. Because I saw a young lady who I cared deeply about. I had prayed for this young lady. I had worked with her for years. I had shared with her the scripture. I had devoted time and energy to helping her see some things. And at the end of the day, do you want to know what she heard? She heard the Bible is right. Jesus is true. But I love my idols more. Luke chapter 12, let me read it to you. Verses 4 through 7 says this. This is, this is Jesus talking. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. 
Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus is telling us, guys, don't fear the intimidation that idols can throw at you. Don't fear what you give up. Understand, it's not about giving up something here in the world. It's about being able to have faith in Christ, salvation through Him, eternal life forever. You shouldn't be afraid of what an idol can do to you. You should be afraid of what happens if you die in your sins. And then this happens in Daniel chapter 3. You want to know where the scarlet thread is? You want to see where Jesus is in this story? Because all we've talked about so far is idols, idolatry. You want to see where Jesus is? You're about to meet the real Emmanuel. That's the last point. You're about to see the real Emmanuel. And for those of you who don't know what that means, Emmanuel is a Hebrew word and it means God with us. Let me show you God with us. Let me show you Jesus in this story. Then Nebuchadnezzar, filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. You want to know where Jesus is in this story? He's right there. He's right here. There was not a single punishment. There was not a single... Uh, a burning fiery flame that could touch these men because the Son of God, Jesus Christ Himself, is right there. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego servants of the Most High God 
Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire came upon them. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. You want to know where the scarlet thread leads you to? It leads you to the very one who can stand in the fire and can walk out, and He can cause you to do the same thing. When we belong to Christ, when we belong to the Son of God, He is near to us no matter what season of life we go through. And I loved, I loved their response. They said, King, we know that God can save us. And we know He will save us. But even if He doesn't, we're not bowing to your idol. They didn't know what was going to happen. But they knew they had a God who could save them and who would save them. Let me tell you something, students. There is a God who can save you. And He will save you and it might not look like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but understand there is a God who can and will save you. His name is Jesus Christ. And you can actually put your trust in Him today. You can know Him right now. And He will walk with you. And it doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't matter what flame tries to burn against you, what punishment is offered against you. You will not be burned because He is greater. We don't have time to look these verses up, but understand there are three verses here that show us just how near this God is. Just how close He is to us. I'm going to end with this story. Uh, a lot of you know my mom passed away in November. It was a hard, hard, hard time. We will recognize her passing uh, this upcoming November. Uh, on, it'll be on Thanksgiving Day. And it has been a difficult season of life. Elijah, my little boy, was crying yesterday because he missed his grandmother. I know many of you have been through the same thing. My mom trusted in Christ totally, completely. And what she told me over and over, repeatedly again, is, Josh, I have a God who can save me from this cancer. And he will save me from this cancer. But even if he doesn't save me from this cancer here and now, I will still praise him. 
I will still love him and I will still cherish him. Now, my mom passed away on November 26th. But let me tell you this, because of her trust and her faith in Christ, she closed her eyes in death in this world. And when she opened them again, she was saved from cancer. She was taken to be with Christ forever and ever and ever. You understand, her God could save her. Her God did save her. It didn't matter what came in her life. It didn't matter what cancer hit her. It didn't matter what flame was burning against her. She recognized there's only one who deserves my knee bowed. There's only one who deserves my songs of praise. There's only one who deserves my time. And it's certainly not a cell phone. It's certainly not sports. It's nothing like that. There's only one. His name is Jesus. Let me pray. Our band is going to come up. They're going to play. We're going to sing songs to this Jesus. So let me lead us. Most gracious Holy Father, we do love you. We do praise you. We thank you for the time we have to be here. I pray that you would help us to love you more and more. That you would help us to desire you more and more. And that, Father, as we get ready to worship you, that you would, God, you would help us to sing songs that bring honor and glory to the one who can save us, the one who will save us, the one who is above every other name, our Lord, our Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ.